When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The Rose Water Collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Available now from iHeart, a new series presented by T-Mobile for Business, The Restless Ones. Join me, Jonathan Strickland, as I explore the coming technological revolution with the restless business leaders who stand right on the cutting edge. They know there is a better way to get things done, and they are ready, curious, excited for the next technological innovation to unlock their vision of the future. In each episode, we'll learn more from the restless ones themselves and dive deep into how the 5G revolution could enable their teams to thrive. The Restless Ones is now available on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Today we're talking about psychopaths, kiss, kiss, say. <laughs> and um, I got to thinking about this topic because of a book that journalist John Ronson wrote called The Psychopath Test. And it's released earlier this year, and it looks into the quote-unquote madness industry. Um, he, he talked to a bunch of psychologists, and he even talked to some patients, including one who said that he claimed to be a psychopath just to get a lighter sentence handed down from the judge, and then he couldn't get out of the asylum or wherever he was. But I just thought it was interesting. I wanted to look at psycho- <laughs> psychopathy. Sorry, it's a it's a tricky word. Right. I wanted to look at psychopathy and gender. Who are psychopaths? Where are you more likely to find them? Because they're really not a huge chunk of the population. The statistic is that about 1% of human beings are psychopaths. But you know where, uh, what segment of the population that psychopaths might be more common is in the workplace. Interesting. An estimated 4% of business leaders qualify as psychopaths. And this is nothing. Let's, Carolyn, let's go ahead and, uh, put out a disclaimer right now. This is not directed at anyone that you nor I work with. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Nobody get upset. <laughs> speaking in general. Yes. This is coming from a uh, Time magazine reported on this. I think it was springboarding off of, uh, the psychopath test by John Ronson. And the estimate was that one in 25 CEOs probably qualify as psychopaths because psychopathy and ruthless capitalism go pretty well together. Yeah, you might come across someone who is just a manipulative jerk with no emotions. But incredibly charming. But incredibly charming and manipulative. And the thing is, that's actually really good in the business world. And there's a lot of talk in in studies out there and in, in Ronson's book about how, you know, you might be a jerk and you might not have a lot of genuine close friends, but you're really successful in business because to become a CEO or some some type of high up leader, there has to be a degree of of ruthlessness, of willing to being willing to climb your way to the top. And mm-hmm. so, you know, a lot of people are like, I like that guy. He doesn't seem to care. He just climbs right up there and steps on people. 
So it, it can help help you get ahead if you're a manipulative, psychopathic jerk. Right. Um, the psychologist Paul Babiak studied 203 American corporate professionals and evaluated their psychopathic traits using a checklist uh, developed by psychopathy expert Robert Hare. And Hare's checklist is um, the, the go-to rubric for determining whether or not someone may or may not be a psychopath. Now, this does not mean, I think a lot of times we conflate, uh, psychopaths with, uh, the, the psycho killers. Right. Um, and so it doesn't mean that a lot of, one in 25 CEOs are, you know, have a, have a knife in their desk. Right. Drawer. Not everybody's American psycho. Right. Um, but it's those, it's those qualities that Caroline was talking about and their natural tendency to be charming. It sounds like they have that perfect balance of, Office politics charm, you know, that, that provides the kind of uh, social lubricant that you need to get by in the workplace with complete and total ruthlessness. Right. And, and never, never a second thought. Also, you know, if you think about, uh, the subprime mortgage fiasco, mm-hmm. uh, John Ronson theorizes that, you know what, some of that could have been propelled by some underlying psychopathy right. in the industry. Just like, let's just make all the money we can. Yeah. It doesn't matter about these people that we're hurting. Um, yeah, the survey suggested that psychopaths, despite being able to succeed uh, early on and quickly in the business world, are actually really poor managerial performers. I mean, think about it. Psychopaths cannot truly connect with people. They seem to lack emotion. And so they're, while they're poor managerial performers, they're, they are still adept at climbing the corporate ladder because they can cover up weaknesses with all that charm that they throw around. And, um, a, a similar study to, um, one we mentioned before, there was a British study of 39 senior managers and chief executives. And the study compared survey results from these guys with patients at a hospital for people convicted of serious crimes. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that on certain indicators of psychopathy, the boss's scores either matched or exceeded those of the patients. Even people who were in this this prison uh, hospital for psychopathic reasons. Wow. Yeah. Scary. Uh, and um, one thing that, that emerges in this literature is that uh, a lot of times males are diagnosed as uh, psychopathic far more often than females. And a lot of the, uh, the, the psychopathy checklist developed by Robert Hare and other um, models of psychopathy that we'll talk about are really based almost completely on research just on male psychopaths. So that's kind of where um, the gender angle comes in that we'll talk about a little bit later and why we wanted to talk about it it in the podcast because yes female psychopaths exist they just might exist in different kind of ways but before we get into that why don't we go over the psychopathy checklist screening version right it is an abbreviated and highly correlated version of robert hare's psychopathy checklist revised and like you were talking about as far as gender it's designed without consideration for gender psychiatric status or criminal history so that is what a lot of these tests are based on, and it's what John Ronson was talking about in his book. And it is, it's just, it's kind of a checklist for mm-hmm. being a psycho. And um, it's interesting because, you know, men have pretty high, uh, it's PCLSV, which is psych- psychopathy checklist screening version. There's PCLR, which is psychopathy checklist revised. And men have pretty high scores on the PCLR, whereas men, uh, women, I'm sorry, 
um, while they do uh, have signs of psychopathy, tend to score lower. Hmm. So it's like they're not exhibiting the same degree, but they're exhibiting slightly different facets of it. So um, to to determine what those facets are, we have um, from the PCLSV two starting factors, which would be aggressive narcissism and a socially deviant lifestyle. And then from there, you have four facets, um, interpersonal, affective, lifestyle, and antisocial. And that antisocial facet is really huge and comes up mm-hmm. a lot in psychopathy um, that all builds into these kind of character traits. And when I first read antisocial, I immediately thought of uh, how I sometimes feel at parties. It's just like <laughs> retreating to a corner. But when we talk about antisocial personality disorder, it doesn't mean that you don't like interacting with people. It's that um, your the way you interact with people is uh, you have really no care to actually build up relationship with them. You're only using them. Right. If that makes it's, sense. It's the opposite of being normally social. Right. Yes. So antisocial. And effective, which you mentioned, um, is emotional. It's how you deal with people emotionally. So with that in mind, let's talk about who are the psychopaths. Well, uh, here's something that I found a little disturbing. Uh, more likely to be left-handed people. <laughs> I'm left-handed. Oh. So check that box. <laughs> Uh-oh. I know. And, uh, let's see what else. I don't, I don't, Krista, I don't think you fall into anything else on this list. Left-handed dog owners. I don't own a dog. <laughs> well, okay. That's interesting. It, they say that psychopaths are more likely to be dog lovers than cat lovers because dogs offer that, um, unconditional love, which is pretty much the only kind of love that psychopaths can handle. And you know what? I, you know, it, get off of me. I like dogs, okay? Oh. And I do like that you're, I, you know, who wants a pet that's going to look at you and be like, Ugh, I'm not going to bother moving. Hey, you know, that's a that's a pet you don't have to walk <laughs> multiple times a day. <laughs> that's true. Which is why I don't have a dog. I love dogs, but I don't want to <laughs> walk it all the time. Jeez. Also, it's cold outside. <laughs> it's pretty narcissistic of you, Caroline. But isn't it genuine and generous and good Hearted of you when I don't have one. You don't want to build a relationship with a dog. That's enough. <laughs> okay. According to the Handbook of Psychology, psychopaths are arrogant, superficial, deceitful, and manipulative. And I, I don't think you and I are all of those things all the time. Nah. So I think we're safe. Um, effectively, their emotions are shallow and easily altered, and they're unable to form strong bonds with others. So that goes back to what we talked about earlier about their bad bosses or bad managers. Mm-hmm. You know, they can tell you what to do and yell at you and stuff, but they're not going to really be able to connect with you on any level. Well, and there was also um, one study that I saw. I think this was among uh, psychopathic um, criminals or people who had been arrested for, for something. And they noticed that psychopaths have a harder time reading one's affect on their face like if someone's really sad or upset, they just it, can't really discern that too well. Like, and whatever, you're weak. But they're easily tipped off if you're angry. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, They uh, psychopaths are typically completely lacking in empathy, anxiety, and guilt. So you won't see a psychopath really worried about anything or mm-hmm. worried what other people think of him or her. And that's why you might have someone like uh, Ted Bundy, for instance, a serial killer who m- might just continue murdering women with no remorse whatsoever. Right. 
But not all. That's one of the myths that is talked about um, in the 2007 Scientific American article that all psychopaths are violent. Exactly. They are not. And not all violent people are psychopaths. Yeah, they made a good distinction um, between someone like Ted Bundy and someone like David Berkowitz, who was the son of Sam, who believed that, uh, speaking of dogs, that his neighbor's dog was uh, sending him messages to go out and kill people. Berkowitz, although uh, like Ted Bundy might have been uh, killing a bunch of folks, he would not be considered a psychopath because he was clearly completely delusional and out of touch with reality. Whereas psychopaths, um, whether they are violent or not, often have a very a far more pragmatic uh, kind of contact with with uh, reality. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And there's also the myth that psychopathy is untreatable. While some of the, you know, more entrenched uh, aspects of it might not be treatable, the, the criminal, the criminal aspect of it can be treatable in therapy. So it's not like you can't send a psychopath to see a therapist. They, they can talk to a professional and maybe try to avoid doing crazy things. But it's interesting because there is a question about when this stuff emerges. Um, there's, there's a question of, um, are you born a psychopath and you just, get worse and worse. But it's interesting because um, the way you're raised can really make a difference. Oh, absolutely. If you are, some of these researchers are saying that if you are quote unquote born a psychopath and you're raised in a violent, abusive, um, unsupportive home, that you are likely going to end up going to jail. But if you are a born psychopath who is raised in a loving, supportive family, you get a good education, you do all this stuff, you might end up in the business world. You could be one of those CEOs. You're going to go to a nice, you know, upscale school, get a good education and go be a CEO somewhere. Well, that nature nurture debate is also where um, we come up against the difference between psychopathy versus sociopathy um, or a psychopath versus a sociopath. Because a lot of times psychopath and sociopath are used interchangeably. Right. Um, but it seems like the the most basic difference uh, that, that we can lay down is that um, sociopaths are people who are more um, driven to those kind of uh, deviant behaviors because of that uh, that environmental impact, whereas it seems like psychopaths um, are, it's a little more nature-driven. Mm-hmm. They're sort of born that way. Um, and uh, one, one quick aside, uh, a couple hallmarks of possible sociopathy in childhood is um, recurrent bedwetting. Which I didn't really understand, hmm. and um, and also uh, cruelty to animals. Yeah, that's something. I feel like that's something that everybody kind of latches onto. Like, oh, if the kid hurts animals, he's going to be a serial killer. But yeah, so that's interesting. But at the same time, though, a lot of experts will argue that since your personality doesn't really crystallize until you mature, it's not um, a good idea to try and diagnose children or even adolescents right. as um, as psychopaths. One thing I read is that in rare cases where they've been able to sort of pinpoint um, conduct issues in children, it seems like uh, kids with early onset conduct issues seem to be boys. Mm-hmm. And, and those conduct issues translate into later uh, psychopathy or later, you know, just 
plane issues. Whereas females don't tend to have that early onset of like being a little kid and people being like, oh, she's going to be crazy. Um, it's more adolescent onset for, for girls that they've noticed translates into later, uh, psychopathic behavior. So the clinical definition of psychopathy goes back to 1941 um, in a medical college of Georgia psychiatrist named Hervey M. Checkley, who wrote The Mask of Sanity, which was one of uh, the first pieces of literature to really describe um, this pathology. Right. And he made the point that psychopaths make a good first impression, which we've talked about, and can strike strangers as completely normal. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're self-centered, dishonest and undependable. Right. And there was um, and it reminds me of another study because there, there really have been a, a lot of studies um, on on psychopaths in romantic relationships. And mm-hmm. it's always heterosexual males. Um, and female, quote unquote, victims of these psychopathic tendencies who are incredibly charming and they are total pathological liars and, um, completely emotionally and sometimes, well, physically abuse these women. And, uh, but yeah, they, they at first the, the women have no, no idea that they are dealing with a psychopath. Yeah, which is frightening. And, you know, I even read that they might not even know it for 20 years. Sure. You might just think, well, he's got a forceful personality. Yeah. But, um, you know, we're talking about the Scientific American article, and the writers, Scott Lillianfield and Hal Arkowitz, argue with traditional um, research that says that psychopathy is synonymous with um, antisocial, personality disorder, and other like sociopathy, um, they say that it's not that research indicates that the, the, these disorders only overlap moderately. Well, and there was a big controversy too, because, um, in the, and Caroline, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the newest edition of the DSM manual, they don't include psychopathy as its own right. disorder. It's all, um, umbrellaed under antisocial personality disorder. Correct. And the diagnostic criteria criteria are not all the same, but um, the writers of this latest edition of the manual just says that, yeah, psychopathy falls under uh, antisocial, dissocial, and sociopathic personality disorders. But so here's a question that um, we've been meaning to, to get to as we've laid this foundation of what psychopathy is. Uh, and the question is, why are men so more commonly diagnose or at least characterize as psychopaths. Right. Well, it seems like, you know, I mentioned that men score higher on the PCLR test and and women have slightly lower scores, but psychopathy in female um, samples, quote unquote samples, is associated with personality measures selected to reflect the glib, grandiose, callous, and unempathetic characterizations. So we're just maybe being characterized slightly different in our expressions of psychopathy than men are? So in studies of incarcerated women, they tend to demonstrate uh, lower rates of that antisocial personality disorder, which is one of the hallmarks of uh, psychopathy in men, but they have higher rates of borderline personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder. So to me, it makes sense that um, that, that there isn't a perfect correlate or correspondence between uh, male and female manifestations of psychopathy since historically all of that clinical literature on psychopaths is based on observations from male patients. Right. And several researchers have called for perhaps more specific tests 
for, for not only for gender, but also for age, because there have been a lot of studies on adolescent uh, inmates, young men and young women who are incarcerated. Um, and speaking of uh, being incarcerated, after they get out of the joint, men and women show comparable rates of violence, but there are differences, according to gender. Women tend to be violent in the home and towards family members. They inflict less serious injury and are less often arrested for their violent behavior. Mm-hmm. Um Women diagnosed with uh, antisocial personality disorder were more likely than men with the disorder to be irresponsible as parents, to engage in prostitution, and to have been physically violent against sex partners and children. And as far as prostitution goes, risk-taking, really risky behavior is part of psychopathy. So women are more likely to be like, woo, I'm just going to go be a prostitute than <laughs> men are. So not that we should say woo. No, not at all. Okay, um... Yeah, but the interpersonal context and the family become the major focus of women's health problems. So there's been the suggestion that certain disorders that are diagnosed more commonly in women, like you mentioned, uh, borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, may represent our particular expressions. Mm-hmm. So we're just doing it differently. Yeah, it seems like um, ma- male psychopaths probably uh, get the higher, more public profile because um, they're more outward with their expressions of it, whereas psychopathy in females might be a little more insidious and it's focused very tightly on their closest social networks, mm-hmm. which can also make it even more damaging to those people, whether they are uh, partners or children or close friends and family um, who, who might be the victims of that kind of uh, psychopathic behavior. Right. Uh, the Handbook of Psychopathy, I mean, it has a really excellent view on all this stuff. I mean, it really makes it all make sense. Uh, I mean, it is a handbook of psychopathy, so I would have to worry. But, <laughs> um, you know, they, they call for the, the whole body of research that we have done, that we have available to us on socialization, sex roles, biological, developmental differences between genders, all of this stuff that we've studied about, you know, men and women, Mars and Venus, we should apply to studying mental disorders and psychopathy mm-hmm. because, you know, it's studies have shown that that overall the the PCLR and the PCLSV are, are pretty good indicators for both men and women. But, you know, since women score slightly differently, maybe we should have more specific ways to look at them. Yeah. And um, just speaking about the, the gender differences, too, isn't another uh, more biological hallmark of psychopathy's higher levels of of testosterone. There are questions too as to whether or not you can use MRI scans to, uh, to pinpoint, uh, psychopathy in the brain and how individual brains work. So it seems like even though we've been looking at psychopathy since 1941 with the publication of The Mask of Sanity, the study's still kind of in its infancy in a way, because we haven't figured out why these gender differences exist and it's still kind of limited to these uh, these these checklists. Right. Maybe we should have something better than asking the psychopath if he's a psychopath. Right. Since they tend to lie yeah. constantly. And manipulate. The, the researcher's like, oh, gosh, he was so charming. Well, that, the, no, that was one of the things. A lot of times um, psychopathic inmates are better than non-psychopathic inmates at getting out of jail or getting their sentences reduced. They're like, look how well behaved I am. Exactly. Because they can wear the mask of sanity and talk their way out of it. Hervey M. Checkley. See, better things are coming out of Augusta than just the Masters tournament. <laughs> um, speaking of inmates, again, because, you know, 
It's yeah, I, good. It's a you know gold mine. Um, a Swedish study of offenders found gender differences in antisocial behavior with female psychopaths displaying significantly more lying, deceitfulness, and lack of control, and male psychopaths in general were, were more antisocial though. And I, I want to just talk about briefly um, antisocial personality disorder because, like you said, it's not sitting in a corner and with your arms crossed and not wanting to join the party. Um, it's, it's very closely tied in with psychopathy. So it's, I can understand why the DSM has psychopathy sort of under that umbrella. Um, but it's a mental health condition in which a person has a long-term pattern of manipulating, exploiting, or violating the rights of others. And the behavior is often criminal. And it's interesting, uh, the symptoms of psychopathy and, um, antisocial personality disorder uh, in a study in the European Journal of Personality in 2009, found that those disorders were negatively associated with conscientiousness and agreeableness, in addition to warmth. <laughs> this is a great person. And they're positively associated with scores on anger and hostility, impulsiveness, and excitement-seeking. Yet a lot of times they can be that that, that combination, which when you read it like that, Caroline, sounds like, Quite a repulsive character, mm-hmm. not someone that we would be uh, too fond of. And yet, a lot of times, um, one of the, the evolutionary explanations for this psychopathic behavior is that that parasitic kind of uh, pathology is almost a survival tool right. for these people. Yeah. They just kind of have that that whole empathy chip completely missing. Right. And tossing out one more study to demonstrate how these gender differences uh, not only exist in the adult population, but also um, in adolescents. Uh, this is a 2009 study from the University of Cologne that examined adolescent female and male detainees and highlighted those different psychopathic dimensions between the, the younger male and female delinquents. Right. Males tended to show higher scores for externalizing behavior and psychopathic dimensions. Uh, there's no association really found between psychopathic behavior and suicidal behavior. And there is a negative relationship. And, and I mentioned this earlier about anxiety. There's a negative relation to the psychopathy total score regarding anx- anxious, depressive behavior. They're, they're not really worried. They're, they're, they're fine. Um, whereas delinquent females showed higher internalizing problem scores and had a positive relationship between suicidal behavior and their total score, as well as their effective and antisocial dimensions. So it seems like women or these young women that they studied were more likely to internalize their problems, you know, their mental issues, how they feel about the world, and were more likely to consider suicide. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot about uh, about science and all of these these clinical terms, um, and and really we're like I said we we still haven't figured out why exactly these gender differences exist whether it has to do with socialization what part biology plays um, and how exactly to suss out all of those all of those variations between male and female psychopaths. But in the meantime, I did find, um, man, I said one more study, but here's a final one. And it's related to <laughs> You're fiction. You're lying. You're manipulating oh, me. <laughs> oh no, and I'm left-handed. Um, but, but, but this is, uh, this is about psychopaths, female psychopaths in fiction. So in case, uh, any listeners out there want to get a sense of, uh, of what a female psychopath looks like, here are a few characters that you could, uh, you could look at such as 
Lady Macbeth. Um, the stepmother and stepsisters in uh, Grimm's Cinderella. Uh-huh. Hmm. Also called out uh, Vita Pierce from Mildred Pierce, uh, which was uh, recently made into a miniseries. And uh, Evan Rachel Wood played Vita. I'd like to see that, actually. It was mm-hmm. an HBO miniseries. Um, also, for fans of His Dark Materials, Marissa Coulter would also constitute a psychopath and Phyllis Nerdlinger in uh, in Double Indemnity for any silver screen fans out there. Barbara Stanwyck's character. Ooh, yeah. She's a (laughs) total psychopath. Um, So, yeah. Have you encountered any psychopaths, listeners? Yeah. Are you a psychopath? You probably won't tell us if you are. Probably lying. Because you're probably like, I am so charming. But I don't know what they're talking about. It did. But what I was saying though earlier about the, the psychopaths and romantic relationships does seem to be a common theme. If you, if you will Google women psychopaths, a lot of what comes up is not about women who are psychopaths, but women who have dated psychopaths. Yeah. So why doesn't he strange. call? That doesn't necessarily mean he's a psychopath, right? But you know, if, it, if there's some other, if, if any of this sounds familiar to you, maybe you're dating a psychopath. Perhaps, yeah. The the Peter Sarsgaard's edu- uh, character in an education mm-hmm. seems to be a pretty prototypical kind of male heterosexual psychopath. Yeah. So we hope that you have enjoyed this. And um, now there was one thing that uh, that John Ronson, who wrote the Psychopath told Time Magazine, and that's once you become aware of the hallmarks of psychopathy, it starts to seem like you are surrounded by psychopaths. Yep. Yeah. Which, you know, maybe you are. I don't know where you work. <laughs> <laughs> but but incredibly common in the workplace. And I bet there are a lot of listeners out there nodding and thinking, yeah, I've worked, <laughs> I've worked for one of those. Uh, and I really wish that our outro could be a little bit of talking heads. Too bad. Instead, we will read a couple of emails <laughs> written to our address, momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Okay, this is an email from David about our sex ed podcast. He said, I want to fill you in on some of my sex ed in Canada. First introduction came from the talk with my dad and the usual conversations with friends. In grades seven and eight, the education was pretty lacking except for one thing. Open Theater. This was a group composed of grade 8 through 10 students who came to the school to perform a variety of skits about sex. It was very funny. I seem to remember one about Luke Skywalker playing with his quote-unquote lightsaber. Funny stuff and probably one of the best ways to teach kids about sex. Cover everything and just be honest. And thanks to everyone, too, who has shared uh, your sex ed stories on Facebook. There's a great collection over there if you want to go check that out and add your own. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And again, if you want to send us an email, the address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com and you can also follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. And of course, you can read the blog during the week. It's stuff mom never told you at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House to Fork's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. 
With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben, dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime. 